Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and, through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Good morning. It's very good to have you with us here today. Um, I hope you received on the way in a little bundle of paper. Inside that you'll find a a, a little outline of where we're going in the next few minutes. You might find that helpful to have to hand. But uh, much more helpful will be a Bible. If you have one handy, do um, turn back to Acts chapter 11. It's on page 1105, the Pew Bibles, if you've closed them. Let me pray as we turn back to God's word. We've just been singing, go forth and tell, O church of God, arise. Father, we do long to be a people who go forth into our world and speak about Christ. We long to be um, about your mission with great fervor, but uh, we do confess this morning at times, Father, that we struggle. Uh, We look at the world perhaps today and see Um, how little impact the church is making in some ways. We wonder how this nation might be one for Christ. We might wonder if it's all worth it. Please, this morning, would you help us? Would you make us bold as we understand your plan for the world? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we come to a remarkable moment in the story of Acts. Indeed, a remarkable moment in the course of human history We are looking at the birth of the very first church that includes both Jews and non-Jews, Jews Jews and Gentiles. 
the very first church that breaks down ethnic and social and geographical boundaries, the very first church that brings together people who would never have otherwise been brought together. This morning we are in Antioch, away up the coast um, north of Jerusalem on the modern day border between Turkey and Syria. In the days of Acts, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. It was a major trading hub and as such, it was culturally, ethnically and socially diverse. And at the start of our reading in Acts 11, as far as we can tell, there is not a single Christian in this city. But by the end of our reading, we are told a great number of people had come and put their trust in Christ. A church is born as we watch in our reading from Acts 11. And this church, uh, it'll become a a great hub in the rest of the book of Acts. It becomes a a hub for mission. In fact, the apostle Paul, it's his sending church. It's, It's where he goes from to go on his great missionary journeys around the Mediterranean coast. And whatever happens here in Antioch, whatever DNA is at work in this church family, that's what's going to be taken by Paul around the Mediterranean. The shape of Antioch shapes the churches around Paul's missionary trips and It shapes even us here today, for we exist here as a church family because of this moment in Acts 11 as a church crosses every ethnic and social boundary. This morning, as we watch this remarkable moment in history, as we see the church grow in Antioch, we are bound to wonder how. How is it possible for the church to grow in such remarkable ways? Imagine being one of those early Christians, um, perhaps one of those mentioned in verse 19, scattered from Jerusalem following the death of Stephen, forced to travel north away from the center of persecution. You imagine arriving into this great city, Antioch, perhaps the biggest city you've ever seen in your life, and you realize that you and your friends, you are the only Christians in the whole city, and you might just wonder how is it possible that God would establish a large and thriving church in this place, and yet he does. How is it possible? You can imagine 2,000 years later, as we look around our city here at Sheffield, almost exactly the same size as Antioch was back then, 500,000 people or so. A good crowd in this morning, but not much compared to the size of the city, we might wonder, how can this city be taken for Christ? How can the church grow and make a real impact in this city and across this country? Think of today, perhaps, what, 2% of the population in this country will will attend some kind of church meeting today? A tiny fraction of the population. How could the church really grow in this country? That's our question this morning. How does the church grow And I think Acts 11 gives us some thrilling and timeless answers. So here's one. Church growth is the work of God. Last week, if you were with us, we followed the extraordinary story of Peter and the conversion of the Gentile Cornelius. And um, at the end of that wonderful story, um, the church back in Jerusalem came to realize something wonderful. Look at the end of uh, verse 18, just before our reading. The church in Jerusalem said, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. It's a wonderful conclusion. Um, but this morning, the, the, the camera pans away from Jerusalem 
to another story that's been taking place the whole time, but in a different part of the Mediterranean. So um, going back to Stephen, that's um, back to Acts 7, we realize that in a different strand, there's been another bunch of Christians um, heading off into the world with the gospel. And uh, these uh, Christians headed up as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, telling the, the message only to Jews, verse 19, But then some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And something extraordinary happens, verse 21. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That is, a great number of Gentiles, Greeks, in Antioch become Christians. Imagine uh, the church in Jerusalem discussing Cornelius and uh, realizing that God was in the business of rescuing Gentiles. And as they mull over this wonderful turn of events, they knock on the door. There's someone there who's uh, dusty and, and breathless. They, they've come from Antioch and they've, they've got wonderful news. You'll never guess what's happened up in Antioch amongst the Greeks. We, we were just a couple of us. We, were, we, we began to speak about Jesus and remarkably, many, many people have, have come to believe. Many Gentiles now trust in Christ. You never would have thought it, but it's happened. And the remarkable thing is that the church in Jerusalem have only just become ready to hear the news. They've only just realized that God is in the business of saving people like Cornelius and Gentiles. And in that very moment, up in Antioch, we realize that all along there's been these Christians speaking about Christ. There's been a a revival happening in Antioch where it gets back to Jerusalem and they're thrilled. And I think Luke is a skillful storyteller for he's weaving together the story of two churches, one in Jerusalem, one in Antioch. They've both been running on parallel courses, but here they come together into one moment at just the right time. And the church in Jerusalem are thrilled. They send Barnabas up to Antioch to support the work because they're behind it. But I think the point is this, that, that God has been at work through all the different um, jigsaw puzzles of history up to this point to convert Gentiles. He works through persecution and suffering, sending people out. He, he works through um, Cornelius and Peter to change the church's thinking. He works through journeys and destinations and through individuals, all for the sake of the growth of the church. And when you realize how God is at work through different stories, but they're all woven together, I think Luke's point is church growth is the work of God. This is his hand. This is what he's doing through lots of different people. But in case we miss the point of what Luke is showing us, he drives it home. Look at verse 21. Uh, a great number of people believe in Antioch. Why? Well, it's very clear. Because the Lord's hand was with these early missionaries. It's the Lord's work. Verse 23, when Barnabas arrives into, into um, Antioch to check out what's happening, he sees evidence of, of God's grace. Growing up, my mum used to bake fresh bread and I'd come home from school and you walk through the front door and you'd be met with this wonderful aroma of, of fresh baked bread. It was evidence of her baking. It was a wonderful moment. And you can imagine Barnabas walking into Antioch and just as he looks and sees and hears, he sees everywhere evidence of God's grace. He sees people's lives transformed. They, they have a new love, a new affection, a new loyalty, a new care for others. Nothing could do this but for God's grace. Church growth is a work of God. In verse 24, Barnabas, a man full of the Holy Spirit, that is, 
a man working not in his strength, but in the strength that God gives by his spirit. Then the end of verse 24, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The verb is in the passive. Um, They were brought, the Lord brings these people to the Lord. Do you see Luke's point? Church growth is the work of God. Well, this is a real encouragement for us. It means that ultimately it is not down to our clever ideas or our initiatives or our energy to grow God's church. No, it's God's work. Think of uh, one country in Central Asia at the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. As far as we can tell, there are only two Christians in the whole country. And humanly speaking, you think, what chance has the church got in that country where it's illegal to be a Christian, where you're persecuted to be a Christian? There's only two Christians. What chance? But now, some decades later, as far as we can tell, and it's hard to be sure, there are around 1,000 Christians in that country, of whom 700 are able to meet regularly together. Despite the ongoing severe persecution, the church is growing in this country. It is an incredible story. How is it possible Church growth is the work of God. Think of this country. Uh, The church uh, can seem so very small. Church growth can seem very slow. It's, um, I guess, at times tempting for us to wonder if it's really worth the hassle, perhaps, of keeping that aim we have of planting churches. We think it, it just costs so much and it takes so long. Is it worth the hassle? Well, the wonderful news is that it is God's work to grow his church. It's not our plan, our idea. He provides the energy and and it's his hand which causes the growth. I wonder if you spotted that little comment in verse 26. It's a wonderful moment. Luke just notes for us. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This, uh, This new church in Antioch, in Gentile country, it is filled with people from many nations. Many languages, many uh, cultural backgrounds, rich and poor, educated, uneducated. And what brings this bunch of people together? Earlier on in Acts, as we saw the church in Jerusalem grow, um, you can imagine sociologists having a field day arguing that, um, well, of course the church would grow. They're just Jews and they're brought together by their common heritage. Of course they would sort of flock together. But, but how do you make sense of what happens in Antioch? Where else in the world do you find such a diverse bunch of people coming together? And what name do you give them? You can't call them Jews. You can't call them Gentiles because they're more than that. You can't call them rich or poor or educated or uneducated. What do you call them? You call them Christians because it is Christ who brings this random, diverse bunch of people together. Only Christ could do it. You see, this is what Christ is doing. Look around the room today. He's at work amongst us to bring people from many different nations, rich and poor, educated, uneducated. Why are we here today? Because Christ has brought us together. We are Christians. Church growth is the work of God. As we come to share bread and wine in just a moment, it's a wonderful chance to remember that what Christ has done for each one of us as we trust in him I wonder just this morning particularly as we come and share bread and wine, maybe, 
maybe just look around at the room today and rejoice in how diverse we are because Christ has brought us together and we are united in his death and resurrection for us. Church growth is the work of God. Well, next, our our second point is this. Church growth relies on the word of God. In verse 20, um, when the men from Cyprus and Cyrene arrive in Antioch, what do they do? They begin to tell people the good news about Jesus. They speak the word of God. No tricks or gimmicks, uh, no smoke machines, no clever advertising. And then look what happens in verses 25 and 26. Barnabas arrives in Antioch, and he, he has found a, a vibrant and growing church. People everywhere are becoming Christians. And you can imagine if you're a Barnabas that there's so much to, to do and sort out. You can imagine there's a group for new Christians to disciple them. There's lots of new small groups to start. You need new rotors for church cleaning. And you've got to start a couple of new music groups for all the different services you're having. And you think about pastoral care teams. And you know, there's so much to be done to look after this church family. What does Barnabas do? What would we do if we were looking after this young but growing church? Barnabas, he leaves. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Tarsus is up around the Mediterranean coast from Antioch. No phones, no emails. So Barnabas goes in person, probably a round trip of some 200 miles. Would have taken him a number of weeks, I guess. Why does Barnabas step away from such a fruitful moment in church history to go and find his buddy Saul in Tarsus. It seems like he's got the wrong cue at this point, doesn't it? Because quite simply, church growth relies on the word of God. And Barnabas knows that Saul is a brilliant preacher of the word of God. There's a little reference on our handout back to Acts uh, chapter 9 when um, Barnabas first encounters Saul after Saul's conversion. And uh, Barnabas is crucial in bringing Saul into the church in Jerusalem. And Barnabas acts as an advocate for Saul. And um, uh, Barnabas speaks about how Saul, uh, verse 27 of Acts 9, how he fearlessly preaches the gospel in Damascus. Well, then in verse 29, Barnabas talks about how Saul debated with the Greeks with such faithfulness and clarity that they tried to kill him. And he had to leave. You see, Barnabas has come to know Saul and he knows what Saul is all about and he knows that Saul is a faithful and fearless preacher of the gospel. That's Acts 9. And so back in Acts 11, when when Barnabas sees this young church growing, he knows exactly what is needed. He needs his mate Saul because Saul will preach the gospel faithfully and fearlessly and this church will grow. And so he steps away to find Saul, brings him back and look what happens Verse, um, verse 26, back in Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Church growth relies on the word of God. I know we believe this here at Forward, but can I urge us to go on believing this here at Forward? to go on prizing the preaching of God's word, to make it central to what we do as a church family. But not just on a Sunday, it's not just about the preaching of God's word, but it's about being in God's word as a church family. Uh, Think of um, our small groups. They're going through a big change over the summer as we reshuffle things and put people into new groups. And uh, by the way, thank you for those who have responded. We had a great response. 
and we're enjoying um, working away, uh, forming new groups. But of course, the, the success of, and the growth of our, our small groups in the years to come, it, it doesn't rely on a successful reshaping process this summer. It doesn't rely in the future on who's in your group or, or your leaders. It relies ultimately on God's word to bring the growth in our lives and in the church family. So I wonder, are we committed to God's word? Are we ready to come week by week to our small groups to, to, to get stuck into the passage? Um, perhaps we might read it beforehand so we know it well. And then in the study, applying it carefully, really working hard to understand what it means. For it is God's word that brings growth to his church. Think of um, Andy Thomas, who is leading the new church initiative in Doncaster. He'll be with us next Sunday morning and uh, throughout this week. What will it take for the church to grow in Doncaster? The faithful preaching of God's word. If we ever move away from Sheffield for whatever reason, and we go to a new place and we think about joining a new church family, and we're trying to work out where to go, can I encourage you not to be... um, attracted overly to clever programs or dynamic music or brilliant welcome strategies. Nothing wrong with these things. But can I encourage you to look first and foremost for God's word preached. Church growth relies on the word of God. Finally, as we move to a close, church growth involves the people of God. We've mentioned uh, two key people already this morning. There's Barnabas. Uh, (laughs) I love Barnabas because um, we first meet him back in Acts chapter 4, and he used to be called Joseph. But he was so encouraging to the church family that they just had to change his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was such a blessing. He's a good guy. He's the kind of guy you want around. And so for him to be sent up to Antioch would have been a real loss to the church in Jerusalem. But he goes and he's a a real blessing up in Antioch. Barnabas makes a real difference. So too Saul as he preaches both these men in different ways show us that um, people are involved in God's church growing. Just as an aside, as I mentioned, it, it would have been a real blow for the church in Jerusalem to lose a Barnabas. But they were willing, I take it, to let him go for the sake of the church in Antioch. And I think we should have the same mindset in our church family here. Uh, Whilst I've been here in the staff team over a number of years, we've had to say goodbye to some brilliant people who have gone off to work for the Lord in other places. And it's been agony to say goodbye to them. We miss them very much. But it is right to be letting them go, actually more than that, encouraging them to go to new places, to be involved in gospel work sending good people away for the sake of others. Thinking about um, our ongoing desire to plant churches, if people from this church family go, we'll miss them terribly. We'll miss the encouragers and the servants and the helpers. We'll have less people around here to do the, the work that had been done before. But if we are passionate about the church of God growing around this country and the world, we'll be willing to push people out and to pick up the slack once they've gone. But as I finish, I wanted to say that God doesn't just use a few people at the front, um, sort of the Barnabas and souls of this world. No, he uses ordinary people to grow his church. Towards the end of our reading, we discover that Agabus, through the Spirit, predicts a famine. And um, 
This ties in very well with a well-known famine that lasted between AD 46 and AD 48 right across the whole area. It was devastating in many ways. We don't know how Agabus was able to discern by the Spirit what was to come. That's not, I think, Luke's main point here. Luke's main point is to show us what, what the people did in response to the news. And the response is very clear. Verse 29, the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I do find this remarkable. The church in Antioch had never met their Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. And you think back through history, uh, the relationship between, between Jew and Gentile had been one of hostility until this point in history, but now not the case in the gospel. But also, this famine that is coming, it's going to affect the whole region, not just Judea. It means that the Christians in Antioch are also going to experience the famine. They too should expect hardship. And yet still they give. Just imagine uh, here at Forward, I'm, I'm no financial expert at all, so this is in no way a, a prediction. But um, imagine in the years to come that um, this country experiences a particularly hard time of uh, financial crisis. There's a, maybe a major recession. It does happen, doesn't it? You can imagine after Brexit becomes clearer how that's going to work, that um, things might get worse. I have no idea. I'm just saying it might happen. But imagine that we find ourselves economically hard up. You know, times are difficult. We have to tighten our belts. The, the human response isn't often is to, is to bunker down and to look after our own concerns because things are hard. It's understandable, isn't it? So we give away less and we, we invest our limited resources into what we have going on in our own little patch. But not in Antioch. They hear news of a famine coming their way and their response is that they give more, not less. And we have here an example for the first time in history of churches outside of Judea sending resources back to Jerusalem. It's gospel partnership. Churches are not to be isolated, cut off communities. Now in Acts, there's a real partnership as individual Christians play their role to support other Christians in other places. Why do these Christians in Antioch give their money away so freely? We're not told exactly by Luke at this point, but I think verse 23 helps us to understand their mindsets. As Barnabas arrives into Antioch, do you see what he was saying to the people? Verse 23, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It's very possible to be a Christian for many years and after a while to go through the motions of the things that Christians are meant to do the external things, things that we used to care about with our hearts, but uh, over recent years, our hearts have not been in it, but we still do them. Barnabas would urge us to go on having hearts that are uh, true to the Lord, fully committed to him, not just on the externals, but with our hearts. And there's a danger for us as Christians that over the years, our hearts get lured away from a, a, a pure devotion to the Lord. And I wonder if here and forward, one of the big ways that our hearts be lured away is, well, money and possessions. Lorna and I have had a little flat down south and we've just sort of going through the process of selling the flat down south and we've got some money coming our way and we're thinking about how to, to reinvest the money and we're thinking about maybe buying some property up in Sheffield 
And um, just in the last few weeks, we've been thinking lots about some budgets and postcodes and those sort of things. And money in housing does funny things to your heart. We felt it these last few weeks. We felt the tug to start being overly preoccupied with budgets and money. And we start to put our trust in the what-ifs of money and possessions. Our hearts can be tugged away. We start daydreaming about what might be ahead of us in terms of bricks and mortar. But Barnabas would urge us to have hearts that are drawn back to the Lord, fully given to him. This young church in Antioch, they remained true to the Lord with all their hearts. And so when the call came, they were willing to give their money and possessions as they could. They sat lightly to the things of this world for the sake of others and for the sake of church growth. The church in the world will grow. The church is unstoppable because it's God's work, comes through God's word. But God does want each of us to play our part in the growth of his church. He wants us to give our hearts fully to the Lord and to be willing to play our part in partnering with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for this uh, encouragement that uh, your church is growing, that you are behind it, that your word does this wonderful work of growth. Please uh, encourage us today as we head out from here and as we survey our city, give us eyes that understand that you are at work to grow your church in an unstoppable way. But Father, please also help us to have hearts that are uh, centered on the Lord, that, uh, hearts that are fully set aside for him. And please help us to play our role in this great work of growing your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.